0: Jesus says, as the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. They will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. And Lord, we just humbly ask now as we continue to worship that you would meet us where we're at, Lord, physically, mentally, spiritually, That our minds and our hearts and our soul and spirit may be as fully attentive to the voice of what you would want to say to each of us this morning through the word of God. We believe that you're a God who speaks and certainly, Lord, we realize that there are things we need to hear from you for our lives. So please bless your word this morning. Take away the distractions and anything that would steal away from what you would want to say to us Speak to us by your Spirit's ministry, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. There are a lot of different ways, I think, that people in our world seek to demonstrate their power, uh, to indicate that they have some sense of authority, sometimes certainly to the forms of abuse we've all maybe seen or experienced that, but I would ask this morning, the one who has all power and all authority, God himself, what perhaps could be the greatest demonstration of God's power? Or what has been maybe the greatest demonstration of God's power? Was it his act of creation? Was it some of the incredible miracles that we've seen him do in the word of God? I think the answer to that question, what is the greatest demonstration of God's power is this, that the greatest display of his power is the display of his love for us. And particularly the display of his love for us that was seen in the love of Jesus, God in the flesh, demonstrated for us. I think in our text this morning, that's really the heart and the point of what God's word is trying to convey to us as we look at this. Now, as we pick up here in verse 15 this morning, as you can tell, we're right in the midst of a teaching of jesus Uh, so because of that i want to for context sake just sort of briefly review as we take a running start into this jesus remember was desiring to describe the type of relationship that he intends to have with each one of us so because of that from the beginning of chapter 10 there he was using this metaphor of how a shepherd takes care of his sheep or how a shepherd would tend his sheep and after giving that illustration Jesus remember we saw then identified himself directly as the good shepherd in fact if you look with me back up just in verse 11 there uh, here's where Jesus began to connect the dots and make that declaration he said there I am the good shepherd that he's been describing the good shepherd gives his life For the sheep, but the hireling, in contrast, the hired hand to take care of sheep, he's not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And the hireling flees because he is a hireling. And notice, Jesus said, does not care about the sheep. So, one of the main things Jesus was trying to indicate that makes him such a good shepherd metaphorically speaking toward you and I as people is the fact of his incredible love for us his incredible care for us so much so that he was willing to give up his own life for our welfare and for our benefit now we're going to talk a little bit more about that because Jesus elaborates on that point in the concluding verses we're looking at in this teaching this morning He then left off in verse 14 for sake of where we're going, saying again, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my sheep. So another way that Jesus demonstrates himself as a good shepherd, he mentioned there in the 14th verse last time is how he develops a very close and intimate relationship with us as people in such a way whereby there's this close connection that we can have with Jesus if we choose to embrace him as our shepherd not just a shepherd but again the psalmist in psalm 23 that famous psalm a lot of times people miss that it says there the lord is my shepherd and then he gives all these beautiful descriptions in that psalm he doesn't say the lord is a shepherd a lot of people well yeah the lord's a shepherd he's a and 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 people a lot of times in this informal he's a shepherd but is he your shepherd those things don't begin to apply you don't begin to experience them until you say the lord is my shepherd He's become my shepherd. I've submitted to him as a sheep and and choose not to let him have complete lordship and guidance over my life to take care of me. And here Jesus was describing how that close intimate relationship, as he described, is available where we can know him in a very intimate way, where he knows us in a very personal and intimate way, uniquely as a specific sheep and the things about our lives that make us different from other people among the flock and so forth. Now, with that sort of thought in mind of how there's this intimacy that can be experienced between Jesus and us as his sheep, he then says in verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. So take notice, Jesus sh- shows us that the intimacy that he allows us to experience with him when we embrace him as our good shepherd is reflective of the close relationship that exists between him and his father in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying to us here in verse 15. Now, keep in mind, the father and the son are two persons of the divine trinity. And yet, though they are two persons of the divine trinity, they actually, because they're part of the trinity or the Godhead, are completely one. Jesus is even going to say later on, I and my father are One. You can't get any greater depth of intimacy than that, completely unified relationally, knowing each other intimately. And Jesus is saying here in the same form, that deep intimacy that my father and I experience as the father and the son, he's saying that very intimacy is available to you and I. It's a reflection of that. The question comes as this. How in the world is that kind of a glorious experience of that kind of close intimacy become available to us? How can we experience that? What is it? I mean, what would something like that cost? What does it require? Well, let me explain. It costs Jesus everything. It costs you and I absolutely nothing. It's free to us. It's a gift that's offered to us. Now, we can reject that gift. We can choose to deny that, and in the same way, if you're a young lady and someone asks you out on a date, you can choose to reject the date opportunity. You can choose to reject the marriage proposal, uh, and you might want to check with me. Certain guys, I would encourage you to do that. I, I would certainly encourage you to do that. But we have this availability, this opportunity to have close intimate relationship with jesus he says to the same level as the father and i have this deep intimacy that's a reflection of this closeness this oneness this intimacy that we can have with him as our good shepherd but how does that come to pass well, as jesus already said in verse 11 he now restates it once again in verse 15 look at it there he says and i lay down my life for the sheep It's through that process of Jesus laying down his life for us as the good shepherd that we can have this close relationship with him. Even as we talked about last time, as a good shepherd was willing to stand in the way of danger, anything that threatened his sheep, their welfare, or that would harm them or hurt them, a good shepherd would stand in the way to spare his flock, to spare his sheep, to take the hurt and harm upon himself and even if necessary, lay down his life and death. Well, that is a picture the Bible shows us of what Jesus Christ has done for people. Jesus willingly gave up his life for us, not only in suffering tremendously, but actually to the point of death upon a cross so that we could have relationship with him. He took the suffering and the punishment that we all deserve for our sin because we all sin against God but Jesus took the punishment for us. He stood in our place as a substitute. Galatians 1.4 says it this way, the Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins. Isaiah prophesied of the same thing, predicting what Jesus would do when he came to earth as a savior. Listen to it there, same allusion to a sheep. It says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him that's on jesus the iniquity of us all so this is what jesus is alluding to here where he says again for emphasis he's already said it in the teaching I lay down my life, he says there, verse 15, for the sheep. Now, let me ask this this morning. What is the highest motivator in the heart of Jesus to be willing to do something to such a great extent? Well, I assure you this, it's not that I'm that adorable. It's not that I'm that lovable. It's not that I'm that wonderful or meritorious or worthy of it. Or he was looking at me saying, well, if I save Tony, wow, the stuff I could get done through him. I'm sure that'd be a big disappointment considering what's happened in my life since I'm saved. The one motivator that prompted Jesus to lay down his life for you and for me is the great love in Jesus's heart for you. The love that he has for us. Listen to 1 John 3.16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. The Bible says, how can you know what love looks like? It always points to one thing continuously, that Jesus laid down his life for us sacrificially as a substitute to spare us. Now that means something this morning. Jesus has a tremendous amount of love for you. His love for you is beyond your understanding, despite what anyone else thinks about you, despite what maybe even this morning, maybe how little you think that you matter or how worthless your life is. Your life is of tremendous value to Jesus. Your life is of incredible importance to the Lord. He loves and cares about you deeply, no matter, listen, no matter what you have done. No matter what you have done. And there may be one of you in this morning in this room where a few of you are thinking, if anyone in this room knew about this skeleton in my closet, what I did at one point in my life, if anyone knew about, listen, Jesus knows about that and he loves you regardless. Quite frankly, Jesus knew about that before you're ever going to do it because when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he died for the sins of the whole world and you didn't even get a head start sinning yet. So when you sin, oh, I can't believe I've done this. I'm so shocked that I've done this. God's not shocked that he's done that. God's not shocked that she committed that error. Jesus is not utterly surprised. I can't believe that you would do that. I mean, some people have done stuff, but what you have done... Listen, when Jesus was dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, he was dying for the sins of the whole world, the history of all of humanity, covering everything, knowing everything that you were going to do. We're surprised by our sins. Jesus isn't surprised by it. He's already experienced the punishment for that thing that bothers you that you've done, that you're so disappointed with. And he loves you regardless. He loves you unconditionally. You matter very much to him. That's why he laid down his life. And that's what motivated him to lay down his life sacrificially so that your life could be spared. So that your life could be rescued and preserved. Jesus gave up his life. He's going to say in chapter 15, John 15, Jesus there says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is such a beautiful thing. Again, as we consider the reality uh, of Jesus' suffering and death, we should always take it into consideration of the depth of his love that was the thing that motivated him to do that. Now, the work that Jesus did was not just for a select group of people. Notice that work was universal. He says in verse 16 there, take note with me, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold currently, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd so Jesus speaks there prophetically in that day of how his long term goal after his death on the cross after his resurrection from the dead after his ascension back into heaven his long term goal in his work was to draw to himself other followers beyond his current disciples and followers in that day historically when he said this He says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. That is currently under my care at that point in time when he was saying that. Jesus' heart long-term was to establish a large, diverse flock, all sharing one shepherd. You see what he says? Look at it in the text there. He says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Now, keep in mind, in the day that Jesus was speaking that, his role as a good shepherd was somewhat limited in the amount of sheep he was taking care of as well as it was somewhat limited even in the scope of the people groups that he was ministering to during the time of his public ministry. At the time Jesus said this, he was primarily ministering among the Jews and and, and tending for them as a shepherd, as a good shepherd. At the time that Jesus said this, certainly he had a following But it was a limited following in comparison to the millions of people that Jesus ultimately wanted to reach throughout the span of human history. His intention was always for his work to be available for all nations to draw many followers in all generations throughout human history to himself. So as he speaks this, he's speaking somewhat prophetically of how at one point in time he knew that he also would open up his ministry beyond just the Jewish people to what we call the Gentiles, and the word Gentile speaks of any other nation other than being of Jewish or uh, Israeli descent, so you and I, the majority of us this morning, are Gentiles, and ultimately the gospel and work of Christ would go to the Gentiles, and beyond that... Jesus had in mind when he listen, when he said that that day, he already had you in mind as a follower. He was thinking of you on that day and He said, "There are other sheep that I have that I'm going to bring into this fold, and already you were on the mind of the Lord before you were ever conceived, before you were ever born, before you even ever did all the dumb stuff that we do, right? That's pretty encouraging. You were always on my mind. That's not just a song. that was the truth. Jesus probably sung that about you. You were on his mind. He was thinking about the day when he was going to call you to himself for salvation. You and I, perhaps even one of you this morning, maybe you haven't yet become a follower of Jesus. And he was thinking, I, I know, I'm already, I'm thinking about the day when you're going to choose to finally follow me as a sheep. Jesus says there, other sheep, notice he uses the terms, I must also bring. I love that, must. The word must is a word that means necessary the idea is that jesus is trying to say this is very important to me that all nations come to me all nationalities all people groups that more and more people continue to come to me jesus says this must happen this matters to the heart of the lord and how does it happen well he describes how the process happens of coming to him he says there in verse 16 they will hear my voice that ultimately is how people come to jesus it's not a great gospel presentation that you and i do so efficiently it's not a really wonderful sermon or an incredible church or all those things jesus can use a gospel track but here's how people come to jesus they hear jesus voice for themselves Jesus works in their life through all kinds of events, circumstances, all these different, but he works in a way where they know that they've heard his voice. I tell you, the reason why I am saved this morning is because in a way, through a process, and at some critical point in my life, the Lord spoke to me. And I heard his voice saying, follow me follow me, you need to be forgiven, you need to be saved, you want to go to heaven, you need to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And I heard Jesus speaking of his love and his truth to me and you hear his voice and listen, when that happens, that's genuine salvation. It's not raise your hand, come forward, emotional experience and I'm not saying people don't get saved this way and and a person doesn't really hear the voice of the Lord, they just get caught up in the spiritual pep rally. A person needs to hear the voice of Jesus. You can hear the voice of Jesus sitting alone in your car, driving on the highway or laying in your bed at night, struggling with your own conscience or being in an empty hotel room or, or reading the Bible on your own. You can hear the voice of Jesus and when you hear Jesus' voice, it's powerful and there's nothing like it. That's the thing that brings people to a salvation experience. And Jesus says, I have other sheep that I must bring in. And he says, they will hear my voice. And what's the ultimate objective of Jesus? He says, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Notice from Jesus' perspective, his desire and viewpoint for the true flock of God He tells us here is that all followers of Jesus Christ, genuine followers of Jesus, would be part of one large unified flock. That's the heart of the Lord. Even if, listen, even if we assemble in different sheepfolds as far as locality, and some sheep flock over here in the location of this fold and some over here in this fold... uh, even though we have distinct differences and variations as sheep, as how we express our worship, maybe among our flock or however that may be. That's okay. Diversity and uniqueness are not wrong. God's created that. Those things in and of themselves can exist without ruining harmony. What unifies us is we understand we all have one shepherd, the same shepherd. And that's what unifies us in the larger body of Christ, that his life, his death, and his resurrection... What Jesus is telling us here was not just, please hear me, it was not just to reconcile us to God relationally. Certainly that was the first priority that we needed through his life, death, and resurrection to be unified back into a relationship with God. We needed to be reconciled to God as sinners. But Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was also intended to remove barriers among humanity to remove barriers relationally between human beings where our common love and experience with Jesus as our good shepherd would be the very thing that would cause us to set aside the differences that sometimes cause division among people in in humanity. Things like, let's say, racial things, ethnic things, Different nationalities, these things that we allow ourselves to be divided over where you want to know what the most unifying thing is. It's not some new program or some new movement or some new march or getting the right candidate in office that's going to fix. Do you know what the the solution is going to be is when people come under the leadership of the shepherding of Jesus Christ, the one shepherd who knows how to unify different types of sheep. And allow them to experience there is no more unifying thing than when Jesus Christ is the Lord over people 's lives. This is what causes people to set aside these differences of ethnicity and tensions or social and financial differences, rich and poor, young and old, people of, of different again non essential convictions well that's this is what I believe about this particular area or politically or you know non essential gray Conviction things, where they can be set aside, even prior issues. If Jesus intends for us to be dwelling together in a spirit of unity and harmony because of Him as one flock under one shepherd, and that's the view and the heart of Jesus, that we would be unified as people of God, as fellow Christians, for us to ever operate in any way different than that is basically to be a rebellious sheep. And when we're rebellious as a sheep, then really perhaps what we need to do is be open to the correction of the great shepherd. To say, listen, if you're contributing to the lack of harmony or you're continuing to to live in disunity, then in a sense, Jesus said that you're not functioning to the highest ideal. You're you're sheep of the same flock. Yes, whatever. You disagree on this or that or you had issues or somebody stepped on your toe. I mean, goodness gracious, they didn't murder your mom. What about love? What about forgiveness? What about being able to say, well, we're supposed to be one flock. And the reason why is because we have one shepherd. We can set aside some of these things and allow the Lord to help us to be unified. There's no more unifying thing than, than collective worship of Jesus and following Jesus. And when we do that, it's amazing how Jesus can bring together one flock and one shepherd in a very beautiful, beautiful way. Well, look what he says, verse 17. Therefore, he says, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. So Jesus referring to his sacrificial death and resurrection from the dead speaks of how that decision and work greatly pleased the father. Look at what Jesus is saying here. Certainly, as he says there, my father loves me because I've done this. Certainly, Jesus is not speaking of how the father's love for him was conditional or if somehow he had to earn the father's love or do something to gain the father's love. The father has always loved the son with divine perfect love. In fact, even before Jesus did anything in his public ministry, remember, the father spoke from heaven audibly at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus didn't have to earn the father's love and uh, the father has always had complete and total love for Jesus. So what is this saying here? Well, my best stab is this. I think Jesus is just referring to one of the things that the father loved about him. Not that he had to do something to get the father to have love for him, but I think Jesus is saying, this is something that I know that the father loves about me. And that being this, that though Jesus had all the power and the authority to do whatever he wanted because he was God, yet with that power and authority, Jesus graciously used his authority not to help himself, but to do something that benefited others. And I think Jesus says, but the Father loves when he sees that. He loves that about me. That I had the power and authority to do whatever I wanted, and I used that authority and power in an act of loving self denial to lay down my life so that people's sins could be forgiven, to die in their place so that they could be spared, and how he exercised his power and authority to take his life back from the grave. And the Father truly, I think, loved that about Jesus. I think, like any Father, it made him so proud to look upon his eternal Son dwelling in heaven's glory who would choose to humble himself and give aside all the benefits and blessings of eternal glory and to humbly come to the earth as an obedient man living among hostile sinners to perform the most helpful act of all humanity and mankind to lay down his life fully, to take it up again, to provide what we needed. The father delighted, I think, in the experience of witnessing or observing his son do what was so honorable and righteous even though it was probably extremely hard to see his son do that. And even though it was extremely hard for Jesus to do what was righteous, it was because it was so hard to do the righteous thing that as he did it for the sake of others and to honor his father, the father said, oh, man, I love this about my son. I so love to see this about him. So Jesus, I think here, is conveying the idea, I know my Father loves to witness my sacrificial obedience to His will and to do what would be helpful to others. He loves me because I lay down my life that I can take it up again. He go on, goes on, verse 18, saying, No one takes it from me, but I have the power, He says, "or I, to lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command i received from my father. So notice here, Jesus wants to clarify, apparently, verse 18. That's why he goes on on the same subject. In relation to laying down his life sacrificially in death for our sins, and in relation to then raising back from the dead after he was crucified, that the only reason that happened was because he was, number one, obeying the will and command of his father, And number two, because he had complete authority and control over everything that was happening through the whole process. Jesus wants us to know that no one truly took his life from him outside of his authority or control. His suffering and death was not a horrible accident. It was not a plan that went awry and oh my goodness, the son of God got crucified. What happened? It was nothing of that at all. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. It's my choice and decision. I have the power or control of giving my life over and suffering and death. Please, please, please hear this. No one forced Jesus to go to the cross for me and you. Jesus chose because of his love for our sake to do what he did in love for us in order to spare us. And in order to demonstrate to us in the clearest way possible, would you please believe I love you? Because you're going to go through things in your life from the moment you're born into the moment you breathe the last breath that are going to cause you to say, if God loved me, why is this happening to me? So Jesus said, let me stamp earmark one time as clearly as possible so when you go through those mental gymnastics and confusing time you can always look to the cross and say yes i don't understand why this is happening how this could happen this is so horrible crazy difficult but i know i don't know anything else right now but i know jesus loves me i know god loves me because you see that he willingly laid down his life in that kind of love Jesus wasn't bound by the ropes when they arrested him he was bound by his love for us he willingly laid down his life Philippians 2 says being God he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man listen he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death So Jesus laid his life down by his own power and choice and he predicted he would do that here in verse 18. But he also predicts, I also, he says, have the power to take my life back again, that is to raise it from the dead. So not only did Jesus predict in advance that his death would be purposeful, intentional, that he would allow himself to be put to death and he would do it by choice of his love. But notice here, he also predicted that he would raise back to life by exercising his own personal power to do it. He's basically predicting here, I'm going to let people put me to death and then I have the power to raise my own self back from the grave. Now, you think Muhammad Ali could brag well? See, that was a generational laugh there. Jesus is doing some bragging there. Who else do you know that said, I'm going to let people kill me and I am going to raise myself back from the dead apart from anyone else's assistant, and did it. That's that's a pretty bold declaration. That's a pretty bold prediction. But the bottom line is, if you can back it up, that's really just speaking the truth. It's really not bragging if you can do it, right? Jesus says here two times, I have the power to do this, and he performed it. Now, interesting consider this. Jesus says two times here, I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it up again. Consider the very God who we sin against in our mistakes and failures, even at sometimes in our willful rebellion, because we just got a rebellious attitude and we're just going to do what we want anyway. And even in those times, that very God that we sin against demonstrated his power, how? By in love laying his life down in sacrifice and death and suffering in such a way for us so that we could be forgiven of the guilt that we carry of what we've done against him that's wrong. So that we could experience peace in our hearts, so that we could have a personal relationship with God through Jesus' life and be assured of access to heaven. That's what I call the power of love. That's what I call the power of the greatest demonstration of the display of your power. That's displaying it in love. Think of that. God could have displayed his power. He does display his power in so many different ways. In my estimation, the greatest display of God flexing his muscle, his power, his authority, is he displayed it by saying, let me show you the power of the love that I have for you. That's an incredible thing, and that's something we remember as we partake of communion.